It's live. Okay. Oh, I bet. This time of year, holy mackerel. Okay, go ahead. Okay, lament. Intro to Shepherd Staff. Teach. Bond. Your word, O Lord, is eternal. Stands firm in the heavens. Your faithfulness continues to all generations. You established, you established the earth, and it endured. Your laws endure to this day, for all things serve you. Your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I will not forget your precepts, for by them you have preserved my life. Save me, for I am yours. I have sought out your precepts. The wicked are waiting to destroy me. But I will ponder your statutes. To all perfection I see a limit, but your commands are bound. Ah, wonderful. Hmm. Wonderful. Okay, we got uh, some prayers. Prayers. Uh, Denver is not responding well to treatment, and I was asked to add him to the prayer list. Don Shimono, his brother, uh, Ron, my friend, his brother Don, has pancreatic cancer and has moved, uh, it has moved into his lungs. And so uh, he's uh, struggling from that. And then John from Hawaii has moved, oh, I'll, I'll say that in a minute. Um, let's see here. Allison is very stressed about job and vaccination situation over in the UK, which I, I don't blame her. They are very quickly making it mandatory for, I saw just a day ago, all health con, uh, care people will be mandatory. And then that's just going to extend obviously to the society soon. Um, so she's stressed about this. Uh, Doug, Doug, our Irish art person, he's suffering from gout, and uh, Doe is tending to his needs. She says she's taking him, uh, uh, what do you call it, um, tea when he needs it, but uh, he also may have a torn ligament in his knee, so he's really struggling. But he got the painting for Sunday Sermon out, and it's beautiful. Wow, it, it is beautiful. But uh, Doug is having that problem. And then Sergio is in Israel. He's laid up. He hurt his back, and he could not go out and work today. And so uh, he took care of something else, which I'll explain in a second. But we have those people. Oh, and uh, Becky in um, Colorado is also continuing to have a lot of troubles uh, with her ears. She almost can't hear now because of it. And uh, so uh, we add her into the prayer list as well. So we'll pray for them. And uh, then I have uh, two things to say. Um, John from Hawaii. This is for anybody here. I'll have to say this on Sunday as well. He is moving to Sarasota from Hawaii, okay? He's attended online for years, and um, he needs a room to rent for one to two months. So if anybody, he's a good, nice guy, he's a Christian, he would hope that he could find somebody that's a Christian that would rent him a room for one to two months. But um, if you know somebody, please let me know. <clears throat> and then um, the website, I have not been able to post to the website for two days because of um, we got a virus. Somebody hacked in there and put a virus in there, and you can access the site, but I could not upload, so I could not do the Revelation study. Uh, Sergio spent the entire day, even though he had a bad back, he worked from bed, and he moved everything to a new server away from GoDaddy, thank goodness, because they've been terrible for 15 years, but um, uh, he moved to a new server. He got the entire website moved over, and I can upload to it now if I can figure out the system because it's a different system and I'm not a smart guy. So if I can, tomorrow I will post all three of the last uh, commentaries from Revelation 13, 13, 13, 14, and then tomorrow's 13, 15. I'll do all that tomorrow if I can figure out how to do it. If not, it'll be one more day. I'll have to learn how to do it and then 
it'll be Saturday, but I apologize. This isn't something that, uh, you know, I wasn't sick or anything. People were emailing asking, where is this? It's simply because the website was down. So we got that. We'll go to the Lord in prayer really quickly and uh, pray for the people and their needs. Heavenly Father, we're certainly uh, got a lot of prayer requests today of people that have uh, physical problems and uh, some people that need to move and are looking for a home and et cetera. So we submit these things to you and we ask that you would uh, tenderly care for the people in their affliction and uh, we would pray for healing if that is your will, and we know that it often is, and sometimes it's not. And so we just leave it in your hands as to uh, to uh, that situation. But if these people are to endure through their affliction, please give them the patience and the understanding as to why it's happening so that they can see your hand in it. And that would be a relief for them for sure. Then, Lord, we pray for this class, that what is said would be properly handled and that it would be something that would not lead anybody astray that would be uh, uh, edifying to the people, building them up, and also to your glory. And Lord, finally, uh, we just thank you for every good blessing that comes from being a member of the body of Christ. We're very thankful for this, and we would pray that we would be proper witnesses and testimony to those that do not know the Lord, so that they would have a desire and a hunger to, to know what we know and to share in the goodness of Christ. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, um, we've got this day in Christian history. Today is anybody? The 25th of March. Okay, we're going to see what 25th of March has to say to us. Let's see. <clears throat> Memorizing scripture became a way of life for many because of his influence. Dawson Trotman was born prematurely in Arizona on March 25th of 1906. He was not expected to live. His mother attributed her son's survival to God while his father attributed it to luck. There's, this wasn't their first difference of opinion. The family moved to California, and eventually Dawson's parents divorced. In high school, Dawes was a natural leader, both president and valed, valedictorian of his class. He also led the Christian Endeavor Society at Lomita Presbyterian Church. <coughs> Excuse me. But he was living a double life. After graduating from high school, he immersed himself in the Roaring Twenties, living a reckless life of alcohol and gambling. Dawson Trotman was nearing rock bottom even before the day he and his girlfriend nearly drowned while swimming. When she was unable to swim back to shore, Dawes tried to rescue her, but they, then they both began to sink. A couple in a nearby boat saved their lives. A month later, the police picked up Dawes for drunkenness. His mother asked a Christian neighbor to pray for her wayward son. The next day, the neighbor called her back saying, We spent the night praying, and the Lord showed me a vision of Dawson holding a Bible, speaking to a large group of people, and the burden is lifted. Don't worry about Dawson anymore. Two nights later, Dawes went back to visit his old Christian Endeavor group at church. Their scripture memorization contest captivated his entrance interest, and over the next two weeks, he memorized 20 verses. One of those verses blazed into his consciousness as he walked to work one day. Verily, verily, I say to you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life. The concept of eternal life intrigued Dawes. He prayed, O oh God, whatever this means, I want to have it. Immediately, another memorized verse flashed into his mind. As many as receive him, to them he gave power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. 
He prayed a simple prayer, oh God, whatever it means to receive Jesus, I want to do it now. After committing his life to Christ, Dawson joined a personal evangelism group. He discovered that the words of God he had memorized were a powerful witness which compelled him to learn even more. Bible memorization became a discipline that would shape his future life and ministry. After starting a discipleship group, Dawes called the Minutemen group. Yeah, Dawes called the Minutemen. He made a... I got to read that again. It's right where the glasses are, and it, it, these are progression glasses, and so I have to be careful with these dumb things. Um, uh, discipling group Dawes called the Minutemen. He met a sailor, and their meeting crystallized Trotman's vision. Thousands of young men were spending months at sea aboard ships, and Dawes sent, saw the potential of training sailors to disciple their comrades. God began raising up men who wanted to disciple their shipmates, and in 1933, the Minutemen became the Navigators. Yes, Burke got that. Their motto, to know Christ and to make him known. By, let's see here, by 1945, there were Bible-memorizing navigators on more than 800 Navy ships, stations, and Army bases. When World War II ended, thousands of former sailors went to college on the GI Bill, and the navigators followed them onto campuses across the United States. In 1950, Billy Graham asked Dawson to develop a follow-up program for crusade converts. The Navigator's philosophy significantly impacted other ministries as well, including Wycliffe Bible Translators, Operation Mobilization, Mission Aviation Fellowship, I think that's where Joel and Missy are, yeah, it is, and Campus Crusade for Christ. In 1956, at the Navigator's annual summer conference at Scroon Lake in the Adirondacks of New York, Dawson saw a girl fall out of a speedboat and dove into the lake to rescue her. He held her above water long enough for others to pull her out, but then he sank himself. Before anyone could reach him, Dawson Trotman drowned. The caption under his obituary in Time magazine simply said, always holding someone up. Let's see here. Uh, Central to Dawson Trotman's vision and to the ministry of the Navigators is memorizing scripture. Committing Bible verses to memory as an, is an excellent way of making them a part of your life. If you have never memorized God's word, begin today. And it says in Psalm 119, when I learn your righteous laws, I will thank you by living as I should. So there we go with that. Now, um, before we go on, having read that, that he uh, had all these people in the Navy memorizing scripture and there was 800 boats and all this kind of stuff. Um, I read something which I'll talk about in the Prophecy Update, I think, this week, uh, you know, unless it gets preempted. But uh, uh, they are having this uh, right now. They have the uh, Navy on stand down. I'm sorry, the whole military on a type of stand down where they're not doing anything except going through looking for extremists. I don't know if you've heard this. But um, one of the things that they have labeled as an extremist is any Catholic or Protestant Christian. And so I was upset enough where I emailed both Marco Rubio and Rick Scott yesterday. I think everybody should. I'll, like I said, I'll, I'll read this to you. And I might not read the whole article, but um, I want you to be aware of that our current administration is currently pushing the Christians in this nation by being, by default, by being a Christian, you are a a extremist and you need to be weeded out and this is being taught in the u.s military 
right now. So we need to make a stand and we need to get this out. So hold off and we will get that article to you. And uh, I'll make sure that you at least have the information to write to your congressman because what's happening needs to end and it needs to end immediately. Because the only thing that has made this nation great is Christianity and the people that have served the U.S. military that were Christians and that have kept the bond of this nation together. I was in there for nine years, four months, and 15 days, and I was not a Christian, but I can tell you that it is the Christians that are the bind of our military. And they want to go doing this, there will be repercussions, I assure you. I'm not going to say any more than that, lest I get arrested, but I'm going to tell you what, this will not stand. So keep it in mind and be ready to write some letters to your congressmen and uh, senators. Um, and having said that, we will get now into... Um, <clears throat> Oh, I got something to read. Do I have it? No, I think that's for Sunday. Okay, good. Oh, we're in um, the book of Ephesians. We're in chapter 1, and we will be in verse 10, but um, yes, you can back it up to wherever you no. would like. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he proposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times will have reached their full fulfillment bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head in Christ. Okay, completely different in this one. It says that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather together in one thing, in one, all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. So there you go with that. A little different from the NIV. It said basically the same thing, but a little bit different worded. But uh, let's see here. The verse like the previous verses, is not a standalone thought. You said that it began in nine, but mine actually goes back to seven, and it's well, all one sentence. So uh, it just depends, you know, that's translators making the best of what they can, but um, it, it's all one thought. So um, uh, it's connected to what has been said. Taking it together with the previous verse, which you just did, um, it would read, and this is from the, I'm going to go back to seven, and because like I said, it's all one thought. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to which according to the riches of his grace which he made to abound towards us in all wisdom and prudence having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in himself that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times he might gather together in one all things in Christ both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. So that's all one thought there. Vincent's word studies goes into detail concerning the first words of this verse by saying ice, that's a, the Greek word, ice does not mean in, but unto, with a view to. Dispensation has no article. The clause is directly connected with the preceding, the mystery which he purposed in himself unto a dispensation. That's Vincent's word studies. What he is saying is that the translation of the King James Version and the New King James Version, which is what I cite for my commentaries, are both faulty and they are clumsy. It should more aptly read, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times, that is the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth in him. That's the NASB version. They use the word administration instead of dispensation, but that's basically the idea that you need there. God laid out a plan with a view towards the fulfillment of that plan. At the right time, that plan would come to its fullness. As we are still awaiting the return of Christ, that time has not yet been realized. 
but the work of Christ is what makes that end view both possible and certain. Everything is being reconciled through the work of Christ. When you read the Old Testament, you should look for Jesus, not for sensation. Uh, We'll talk about sensation on Sunday. If you want to have a sensational sermon, it's entitled Hashemitah, the remission. If you know the word there, you know that there's a popular book that came out a couple years ago by somebody on the Shemitah, okay? Uh, That's sensation. It has nothing to do with the reality of what Scripture is teaching, and I will on Sunday tell you what is being uh, given in those particular verses, okay? But um, let's see here. You just want to stay away from sensation. If you get into a training or a study, which is from especially the Old Testament, and it talks about anything that sounds sensational. I guarantee you that people will have videos that have three and four and 500,000 views on them, and there is no value in that content at all. None. Because people are taking things out of context, they're making things up, and they are not looking for the point of all Scripture, which is Christ. If you watch a video on something like the Nephilim, and it doesn't lead you to an understanding of the ministry of Christ for the people of the world, you've got the wrong analysis, okay? That's all there is to it. Sensation is not a part of Scripture, except in the most sensational thing of all, which is that God sent Christ into the world to reconcile us to him. That's sensational enough. We don't need all of this other goofy stuff. So um, let's see here. Uh, I'll read this again. God laid out a plan with a view towards the fulfillment of that plan. It says in what? Revelation 13, verse 8, um, the lamb from Burke, slain from before the foundation of the earth. God knew the plan. He had it in his mind. You know, I hate to use the word mind about God in the sense that something is actively going on. He knows, okay? God doesn't think like we do. But he had this in his mind, in his intention, before he created anything, that Christ would come and he would die on the cross, the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. That's what we want to have in view when we're reading the Bible. At the right time, that plan would come to its fullness. And as we are still awaiting the return of Christ, he was already crucified, but he has said he's going to return, then obviously that that time that is being referred to here has not been realized. But the work of Christ is what makes that end view both possible and certain. Everybody got that. Christ came, he did his work. We know the end because Christ has fulfilled the important part the ministry of Jesus in his life. So everything else is just waiting, and it is based on what he has done. Before the cross, everything was in anticipation of his coming and what he would do. And since that time, everything else is just waiting to be fully realized based on what he did at the cross. Okay, everything is being reconciled through the work of Christ. We talked about that last week with all the different attributes of God and how there's a tension between them. And the only way to resolve that tension is at the cross of Jesus. There is no other way, and we can know that without ever having the Bible. We can know that there's a problem. We can know that it cannot be resolved. If we simply think about the nature of God, even apart from the Bible, then we know this is true. And the Bible is the only thing on this planet that makes that understandable. Nothing else does. Nothing else even comes close. There's all workarounds for how to get to God, and every one of them is based on the word work. Every single religion on this planet, every false religion, every false Christian sect and cult, every one of them is based on one thing, and that is works. It's based on self. If you want to know the Hebrew Roots Movement, I'm going to do it. I am going to fulfill the law of Moses, okay? Somebody sent me a uh, a uh, video, something, I can't remember what it's called, but it's uh, the Pauline Paradox, I think, and there's a series of 
videos and they say we're not Hebrew roots, but they are. They're just under, they dismiss the Jewish part of it, but they say we are bound to the law of Moses. Okay. And so I didn't even bother watching the videos, but I went and I read up on what they had in their insert thing. And it's so sad that people do not understand that there is no work that will ever get you to heaven. And all of these things, every one of these cults, every one of these false teachings, every single one of them, if you see that it involves work, then it is not of Christ. Everything that we do is of Christ, and then we can work after that. But if somebody says, you must be baptized in order to be saved, that is a false teaching. That is a false gospel. If there's anything that you say, I have to do this, it is false. Okay, Paul makes that abundantly clear in Galatians, absolutely as crystal clear as possible, and then they take the book of Galatians and they twist it and they, they manipulate it, and pretty soon you have nothing left of what Paul has said in his writings, and you have nothing left of what Peter or anybody else said as well, because they are in agreement with Paul. But they twist things, and then people that are unsound in their knowledge of the word will be duped, and they'll be swept away by these things. So we would hope they'll be controlled by these things. That's right. We would hope that people would at least learn the very basic is that this is a gospel of grace. Nothing else can be added to that. And based on that fact, if you are told anything that you must do in order to have a right standing with God, apart from the gospel, you make sure that you walk away from it. If they say that you need to use the King James Version only, that is cult. I'm sorry. That's all there is to it because they are adding something into scripture that is not scriptural. And they're basing it on a faulty premise from the beginning anyway. So keep these things in mind. If there is something that says you need to do this to be right with God, apart from the gospel, it is false. After salvation, you can add in all the things you want. You can go below your doctrine in any way you want. But the main thing is to get the basics right. We do not work our way to heaven. There's nothing we can do in order to be saved apart from Christ. And when he has saved us, it's done. Remember that one thing and everything else will fall into place. Okay, <clears throat> read that one more time. Everything is being reconciled through the work of Christ. The term dispensation means, as the NASB translated it, administration or stewardship. It is used in the management of a, anybody? Household. It's simply a household, okay? It's used in the uh, management of a household. I think the word, I can't pronounce it, Oy, I, I won't even try. I have to have it in front of me in order to uh, read it. Um, God's plan has been worked out and formed with this end in view. Each step of God's plan, every single detail of it has been carefully and logically worked out in human history for the purpose of, as Paul says, gathering together in one all things in Christ. And how do we know that's true? is because you go through the Old Testament and you look at the pictures and you look at the typology and every one of those things was in advance of the coming of Christ. And it matches what Christ did and we know that God was giving us pictures of that. And so read it again. Each step has been carefully and logically worked out in human history. We know that's true because of what God gave in advance of Christ's coming. All of the dispensations of time are recorded in the life of Jacob as he traveled to Padanaram and then he was up there for a while. He came back and he uh, was pursued by Laban, eventually came to Sukkot and he was there. And then, you know, he went here and there. Every single dispensation is worked out in order in the, the life and travels of Jacob. There's 10,000 little details that are in the book of Genesis alone that shows us that we can know in advance what God is doing in human history. 
but we can't know it until Christ comes, okay? But he was showing us that what Christ has done and where our evaluation of Scripture is appropriate is found in those passages. It's, it's marvelous to see. Um, the Greek word for he might gather together gives the idea of summing up. When an orator closes his speech, he will sum up what he has spoken. In essence, I have talked about all of these things for the past hour, and this is the final point I am making concerning those things. Okay, uh, they say that a good sermon, and I don't do this, I don't think, maybe I do it subconsciously, but I don't think I do it, uh, is they say you should give your points at the beginning, and then talk about your points, and then go back and sum up your points again at the end. And that way people remember what they're told. Like I said, I don't think I do that. What I do is I go, I start with, say I'm in a sermon and it's verses 10 through 19. I just start with verse 10 and I start reading it in the Hebrew and then I start analyzing it and I, you know, and then I get to the end of that and then I find out is there a logical division in there? And if there is, then I make two points instead of one and I throw a poem in between the two to offset it. And so it kind of breaks it up for your mind. And then I will normally type the closing at that point. And then after the closing, I go back and I write the introduction. So the closing is on my mind because it's the last thing I typed, and then I do the introduction. So it may be that I'm doing that, but I don't do it. In... Right. Out of the Bible. Right. Dissection. Right. Oh. Well, technically, you do. Okay. Well, if that's what you say, then that's how I do it. But that's how I do it. I always start with the Bible first, and I just analyze it. And then uh, after the poem and while I'm doing the ending, I will also think about how does this point to Christ. I may figure it out during the analysis, you know, one verse or another, and, oh, I see what's going on here. Sometimes I have to sit and think about how is this pointing to Christ, okay? And so you just don't know. I mean, but the main thing to do, to me at least, is to just read the raw verses in the Hebrew and study that, and then from there, think about it, okay? And so I don't know if that's the right way or wrong way. I have no idea. All I know is that that is how I do it. And this is what, you know, a, a good person will do when they give their presentation. I have talked about all of these things for the past hour. This is the final point I'm making concerning those things. I'm now summing up. And that's what God is doing with that particular word. He might gather together. He is summing up, okay? God has chosen a way of showing us our desperate need for his grace given to us through Christ. There was the Garden of Eden. There was the fall the turning to wickedness, the flood, the Tower of Babel, and the dispersion of the peoples, the call of Abraham, the forming of the covenant people, and their sojourn in Egypt, their release from captivity in Egypt, the giving of the law, the time of the judges, the time of the kings, and so on. Go on, on through there. You have the time of the prophets, and etc. Every step of the way has been methodically given to show us what he has done and why he has done it. Okay, and then what does he do at the very end of the Bible, which is exactly, he sums up everything. Because here you have in the Garden of Eden, you've got the creation, you've got the fall, you've got all those things. Satan is introduced in chapter 3, and then as you get to the end of the Bible, Satan departs three chapters from the end, the third chapter from the end, and then everything that was lost, everything is suddenly reinstated at the end. So he is summing that up but it's all based on the work of Christ. It's not based on any of the sensational stuff that people love to get into, okay? All of these things were steps. All of the things I just mentioned from Genesis and Exodus and the time of the kings, and these were steps along a journey to lead us to the giving of his son. You were talking about the David and Goliath series before class today. Jim finally got to watching Sergio and wrote his David and Goliath things. 
okay? And in the David and Goliath series, you know, I, and I said, one of my friends, um, he was following the numbers on the sermon that I did on David and Goliath, which was in conjunction with um, Sergio's sermon. Sergio says, I'm going to go to this place, I'm going to do a video, and I want you to do a series of videos on that. So we worked on it together. And the first sermon, I've never looked. But um, my friend was looking, he'd say, oh, you're up to like X number of views. Whole bunch of them, I said, you watch, the next one will be a half of that, and the one after that will be half of that, and by the time you get to the end, there'll be very few people that have watched them all. And the reason why is because they are looking for sensation. They're not looking for an analysis of it with the final conclusion pointing to Christ, which you have to wait till the last sermon to get to that, okay? But that is what the story of David and Goliath was there, was exactly what I'm talking about here, is that it was all pointing to what Christ was going to do. If you want to know about the story of David and Goliath and what it points to, you go watch all of those sermons and you have to wait till the last one to get the details. And then all of a sudden you say, oh my goodness, I see exactly why this story is here. And it's not just because a little boy has a rock and he whips it at the head of a, a giant and the giant falls over. I, well, yeah, it is. That's what it's on the surface about. But I, every single detail of what Goliath looked like, everything he said, his uniform, everything pointed to a battle between Satan and the coming Redeemer. Everything in that story. And like I said, I put in little hints of it throughout there to try to keep people interested, but you can't really know what's going on until you watch the last one. And so, like I said, people, they want sensation. They get to a sermon and they say, oh, I'm going to find out about, and they don't want to go through the hard work. And theology is hard work. Studying your Bible is hard work. I know it is because Burke sends me stuff four or five times a day, all kinds of analysis of things. Okay, he'll go in and he'll analyze the word grace. He'll analyze this or that, and he will send it out to a whole list of people out there. But I wonder, and this isn't slamming you, I just wonder how many people read them. You know, because I know I do things and I, I never question it. I just am sure that not a lot of people read the things that I put out. I don't care. To me, it is out there now and it's for reference if somebody ever wants it. So that's why I don't look at numbers. I don't look at YouTube video numbers or any of that kind of stuff. I don't look at the stats. The website will send you every single uh, month, every single person, not individual person, but every number of people that have gone to the website, what country they're from, what page they went to on the website, they, they send you all kinds of information. If you want to know everything about your ministry and how it's affecting the world, it is there. And I never look at it because that's not my thing. I don't care who is looking at it because then what does it become about? It's you. About me. That's right. And I don't want it to be. I, that's why we don't, we don't have anything to do with issues like that at the church. I just, I don't look at them because that isn't my thing. My thing is to just analyze the word of God and put it out there. And if somebody appreciates it and they send me an email, I always appreciate that. But if they don't, I don't know who they are and I never will know how many there were. That's not my thing. So you're a field of dreams guy. A field of you're dreams guy. They, they will come. come. That's what you would hope. And how many there are. That's right. It's, it's built and they, people can do what they want with it. But I am certain that the number of people that actually go is far less than the people that watch the Prophecy Update. I could be certain of that because Prophecy Update is sensation and theology is not. And so there you go. Okay, so um, uh, every step of the way is, uh, has been methodically given to show us what he has done and why. All of these things were steps along a journey leading to lead us to the giving of his son through Christ. And what he has now accomplished, all things are being gathered into one. As it says, both which are in heaven and which are on earth. 
The word for all things is in the neuter gender, and it therefore goes beyond the idea of persons. It is a complete restoration of all of creation. It's not just the people that are being redeemed. All of creation is being brought back into the harmony of what God originally intended for us. And that's found in where? Romans chapter... I think it's chapter 2, isn't it? Burke is scratching his head, and that's the first time that's ever happened. So um, hang on a second. It might be uh, chapter 1, but I think it's... uh, um, Let's see here. Corruptible... um, Hang on. Um, wrath of God. It's where Paul says that he's reconciling all things to himself and the creation groans. Come on. Chapter, eight. chapter 8. I knew that. I, I You know what? I said Burke's going to get it and he did. It's chapter 8 and that is what I'm looking for. Okay. Like yeah, we're going to find Yeah. Okay, there it is. You're right. For the creation was subjected to... I'll go back a little bit. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Here it is, for the earnest expectation of the creation. It's not just people, it's everything. Creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption. You've got a dog you love and the thing dies? That's not the way that God intended it. He didn't want that heartbreak in you, but that's what's happened in the world, okay? It's not just human beings. It's all of creation is suffering through the fall of man. It goes on, it says, into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly awaiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. So it's all contingent on the work of Christ. And then from there, we are redeemed when we come to Christ. But the whole creation, everything is going to be redeemed to a state that it was intended to be when it was lost at the beginning. Okay, yes. Does that have to do with the new heaven and new earth? This verse? What would have to, because that's going to be introduced, and that's going to be something that will come at the renewal of all things. So I would think it would, logically. I haven't sat down and thought that through, and I don't want to give you a dogmatic answer, but you would think that the new heaven and new earth is what that's referring to, where everything is restored to the way it should be. So I I, I would say yes, but I'm going to give you a qualifier, so I just need to think it through, because I don't want to say something that is, yeah, but I, I, I would think that's correct. Um, you know what? I got it right here. It says Romans 8. Duh. I, I, I went too fast and I got ahead of myself. Um, it says, um, where was I? Um, he has now accomplished all things being gathered into one, both which are in heaven and which are on the earth. And then, as I said, it's neuter gender and therefore goes beyond the idea of all persons. It is a complete restoration of all of creation. Vincent's word studies details what this means. And they cites Romans 8. God contemplates a regathering a restoration to that former condition when all things were in perfect unity. And we know they were. We know that at the beginning, God created everything and he said it was good. When God says it's good, it's good. And at the end of it, he said it's very good. Right. So we know that it was all very good. Okay. And normally combined to serve God's ends. This unity was broken by the introduction of sin. Man's fall involved the unintelligent creation, Romans 8.20. That's what he cites there. In other words, it wasn't just man that fell, but even the unintelligent creation fell with it. And that's why we have thorns. 
when we walk in the uh, beach and we step on a sand spur, it really hurts. Well, that wasn't the original intention. If you want to know the thorniest place on this planet, does anybody know where it is? It's a little land that begins with yes. It begins with I, ends with L, and has Isra in the middle. Israel. I'm telling you what, it is the thorniest place you will ever, if you get away from the beaten track, I know because I went from Jericho to Jerusalem and we got off of the beaten track and Sergio said, he, he was grumbling to himself. He says, Israel, everywhere you go, you get cut, you get your, your legs will get lacerated. It is a thorny, and that's a part of the fall. And that is worked out in the land of Israel. You know, a thorns and thistles it shall bear for you. Well, guess what? That's a picture of it in Israel. It's a picture of the creation actually groaning to get away from that state. Anyway, the mystery of God's will includes the restoration of this unity in and through Christ. One kingdom on earth and in heaven. Here it is. A new heaven and a new earth, Burke, in which shall dwell righteousness. And the creation shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the liberty of the glory of the children of God. That's Vincent's word studies. But obviously I agreed with that eight or nine years ago whenever I typed this. And I did take the time to sit down and think it through. And now you ask the question and there's the answer. Okay, the entire creation is prepared for restoration because of what Christ has done. Everything is prepared. It hasn't happened and it's not going to happen until God is ready to do it. But all of this is being worked out in the household, the stewardship or the administration of God. Everything. Can't wait for that day. And all of it will be accomplished through him, meaning Christ Jesus. Life application. If things seem out of control, take time to consider this verse. God has a plan which he has been working on since the very beginning. In the coming of Christ and in his triumph over sin and the devil, the victory is assured. We are simply living in a part of that plan. It is a time of grace where God is building a church made of the people he has redeemed through this time of grace. At some point, the number of people will be realized and we will move into a new part of this plan. Don't worry about the troubles around you. God has it all under control. And what I'm saying when I say don't the uh, at some point the number of people will be realized and you will move into a new part of that plan that is found where Burke? Oh yes, you do. It's Romans nine through eleven, and it says I think it's probably eleven that I'm working for. Um, uh, it says, hang on, where is it? Uh, let's see if I can find that. Yes, here it is, eleven twenty-five. For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery lest you should be wise in your own opinion. That blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved, implying that there are two different things going on, the church age and then Israel coming to salvation in Christ. In other words, the church age ends and then that happens. What does that mean about death, the rapture? Thank you. That's exactly what I was looking for, and that is what I was referring to there. I'll read it again. Doctor oh, Doctor had it. Okay, you <laughs> got to speak up louder. That Burke, he's an annoying one, but Doctor's open. I didn't hear that. So um, it says we are simply living in a part of that plan. It is a time of grace where God is building a church, which just referred to, uh, made of the people He has redeemed through this time of grace. At some point, as the Doctor noted, the number of people will be realized, and we will move into a new part of this plan. That is our hope, okay? Our hope is not to go through the tribulation period. As 
Paul says in uh, Thessalonians, I think it's uh, 1 Thessalonians, we are not appointed to wrath. It might be 2 Thessalonians, but I think it's 1. It's 2. Okay, so we are not appointed to wrath. Okay, and then of course, because Paul says that and people want to be punished before Christ comes and believe that uh, we deserve to be punished, which is true, but it's not going to happen. What do they do with the tribulation period? They well, they divide it in two, and they say, well, the second half is the wrath of, uh, and so they say we're pre-wrath and post-wrath and all that. I'm sorry, we are pre-trib, pre-trib, seven-year tribulation. The church will be gone before that. Paul makes the timeline clear. You do not need to go to the gospels. In fact, if you use the gospels, Jesus' words from Matthew 24. You will have error in your rapture theology because Jesus is not speaking about the rapture ever. He never refers to it. He never refers to anything about the Gentile-led church ever in the three synoptic gospels. Okay, If you can get that through your theology, then you will understand that Paul is the one that gives us the rapture timing. Nobody else. Paul does. Okay, Now, you can get hints of it from the book of Revelation, etc., but the rapture timing is solely by Paul. And we know this is true because Paul is the one that says, Behold, I show you a mystery. He revealed the mystery that was never referred to by Christ before, ever. It was never done. Paul wrote that 30-some years after the ascension of Jesus Christ. And so we know that Paul is where we get a rapture theology. If you go to the Gospels, you are going to have it incorrect, and you're going to believe in something that is not right. Okay, so that's my little plug for you on a pre-tribulation rapture. Remember that. As you're watching all of these prophecy updates that you watch every single week and people are giving you bad information, ignore it. Okay, do not get your rapture theology from anywhere except from Paul. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 Thessalonians 4, and then especially 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 is where the real timeline, because they misunderstood what he was saying, and they started thinking, oh no, we've missed the rapture, or yeah, all that kind of stuff's going on. Paul very clearly lays out the timeline in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. That is where you go to get that. If you want it explained to you, go to the timing of the rapture, the superior word. Just type that into YouTube and you can watch the video. Okay? Your first choice, 1 Thessalonians 5.9. 1 Thessalonians 5.9 is we are not appointed to wrath. Okay. All right. So I, I knew it was in there somewhere, but I, I wasn't sure. And when I'm not sure, I'm going to say. From 1 Thessalonians 1.10. Yeah. And of course, Revelation. Revelation 3.10, yep, absolutely. And then also Revelation 4.1, where it says, I saw a door open in heaven, that's Christ. And a voice said, come up here. And that's exactly what we're going to do is we're going to come up here. It's just a picture of what's going to happen to us. And so all of a sudden he's translated. And after that, the church is never mentioned again from 4.2 until 19.10. Never mentioned again in all of those verses. So that's exactly right. Dr. Scott has wrapped her theology down just right. Okay, we are in verse 111. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. Okay, little different, but it says the same thing. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. That one said what? Purpose, or Purpose of. Purpose of his will, and this one says the counsel of his will. Okay, in verses 11 and 12, Paul will use the term we. Then in verse 13, he will use the plural word for you. For this reason, many scholars state that this is showing the order of salvation with respect to the idea of to the Jew first, 
and then also to the Greek. This is, for example, how Charles Ellicott sees it. He says, Ephesians 1:11 through 14 form the third part of the introduction, applying the general truth of election by God's predestination in Christ, first to the individual believers, the Jews, and then to the subsequent believers, the Gentiles. It is true that the Jews were the first to receive the message, and then the Gentiles were later its recipients. These are my, my words now. I, I finished my quote with uh, Ellicott. Anyway, I'll start that again. It is true that the Jews were the first to receive the message, and then the Gentiles were later recipients. And this seems probable concerning what Paul is saying. Or it could be that he is saying that it was those who heard and received Christ, meaning the apostles and so on, who are then relaying the message on from that initial point. In this, then, the stress is not laid on the nature of the person, Jew or Gentile, but rather it is simply the logical progression of receiving and then transmitting the gospel. Which option is correct becomes even more important in the opening words because Paul says that in him we have obtained an inheritance. The King James Version and the New King James Version make the verb active but it is not. Rather, it is passive. The correct reading is that we were made a heritage. And it's not we have obtained an inheritance. We were made a heritage. Thus, it literally is worded to suggest that we were designated as an inheritance. It does not appear that Paul is speaking of Israel, who was made an inheritance of God in the promise of the coming of Messiah. Following this, he says, being predestined. Paul's words, being predestined. The idea of predestination is detailed in the commentary on Ephesians 1, verse 5. We already did that. However, Paul adds in that this predestination is according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. That's a lot of words to evaluate at one time, but this is the idea that has to be evaluated with care. And it needs to be done so while considering the rest of Scripture. As was noted in Ephesians 1, verse 5, free will in man is something that God takes into consideration. Okay, we talked about that. I don't need to beat it to death. But if you believe that you do not have free will in your salvation, you are in the wrong church. I'll say that right now because we are not Calvinists here. We have free will. God does not predestine you. He does not regenerate you in order for you to believe, and then you believe, and then you're saved. That is not what the Bible teaches, okay? It's not found anywhere in Scripture. It cannot even be considered without it being trained into you. Somebody comes along and overthinks an issue because he misunderstands a few other verses, and so he comes up with a theology which is incorrect. It is apparent from Genesis chapter 2 all the way through until Revelation 22 that free will is a part of man's being. It is a part of his salvation. It is a part of his loss of, you know, being in the garden. We know that Genesis chapter 2, it said, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the garden, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For uh, on the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. That is free will. And if you get to the last page of Revelation, which I don't have, I, I have part of it memorized, but not the whole thing. Once again, free will. On the last page of the Bible, it's going to take a second to get there. Okay, I bleached the floors today, and I can't grab the pages. My, all, my fingerprints are all uh, worn off from the bleach. Anyway, um, it says right here, And let the Spirit and the bride say, Come! 
and let him who hears say, come, and let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take of the water of life freely. That is free will, folks. That has nothing to do with what Calvin teaches. Zero. Okay? And it goes on. I'll, I'll read some more. For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. Free will. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which were written in this book. Free will. Okay? He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming quickly. Amen. Even so, come Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. And there are other free wills in chapter 22 as well. The, uh, as well. the sexual immoral, the dogs, the murderers, the idolaters, they want. Well, that's free will. Every single thing in the Bible leads us to the understanding that we have to do something in order to be saved. And that thing is to exercise our faith, to believe. That's it. Okay, there is no work involved. Faith is not a work. Because what do you do when you are way overthinking the issue? All of a sudden you say, well, then faith is a work. And I had people email me that kind of stuff. And I have to tell them, no, faith is not a work. It is an expectation of you. You're a sentient being. You have free will. And Jesus gives the offer and it says, anybody that wants to take of this water of life, come. That's not work. That is simply acceptance. believing. That's acceptance. That's all it is. Okay. Anybody that tries to divide the word that much is overthinking the issue. Okay. It, well, what's that? Yeah, hyper. Yeah, hyper everything. Um, so um, let's see here. Um, uh, this idea has to be evaluated with care. It needs to be done so well considering the rest of Scripture. Okay, I'm going to read this again. As was noted in Ephesians 1.5, free will in man is something that God takes into consideration. Therefore, the words according to the purpose of him, Paul's words, according to the purpose of him, includes two separate thoughts. The first is, as Albert Barnes says, universal agency of God. And the second is man's responsibility in exercising his free will. So you've got God's agency in the process. He does everything for us. Jesus Christ came. God set it all up so that this process of redemption could be effected. And then what does he say? Believe. Believe. Just believe, okay? One does not negate the other. Just because God knows what choice a man will make, it in no way negates the choice of the man. God considers man's will and includes it in his working out, as Paul says, all things according to the counsel of his will. That is a part of according to the counsel of his will. How do we know that? Because it says in John 3, 16, if you believe, right? That is a part of God's according to his will. According to God's wills, I am presenting this, and my will is that you will. And if you don't, then you will not. It's that simple, okay? God considers man's will and includes it in his working out all things according to the counsel of his will. It is both a comfort for those who are willing to submit to the authority of Christ, and it is to the shame of those who are unwilling to do so. God, in his infinite goodness, has granted us the right, the honor, and I would say the privilege to choose where we will place our allegiance, and thus where we will spend eternity. God isn't forcing that on anybody. He doesn't actively chuck anybody into hell. They make that decision. They live apart from God. Okay? Lovingly give them what they want. What? Lovingly. Lovingly give them exactly what they want. That's right. If they are presented the gospel, and if they're not presented the gospel, 
there's a couple things that fall into that. One of them is that the people of the world were, or the people of the church were not sound enough to get out there and send missionaries, etc. That doesn't cover everybody, though. The people that never hear the gospel beyond no fault of theirs and beyond no fault of the church, just because they haven't gotten to that part of the world, are condemned already. Okay, so Adam made the choice for them because he is their federal head. I talked about that, I think, last week, maybe two weeks ago. We're all in Adam, and or maybe it was during a sermon. A sermon. Okay, we are all in Adam several ways. We're in him legally, we're in him seminally, and we are in him, um, there's a third one, now I don't remember it, because I wasn't thinking on this line, but we're in Adam three different ways. He is our federal head, just as when a president signs a law, we have to obey that law. He's our federal head, now that passes down to us. When Adam does something, it affects every person after him. Oh, the third one is potentially. We may or may not be born, but it says in Genesis chapter 5 that Adam had other sons and daughters, and they're not listed. We have no idea how many he had. He might have had 500, or he might have had 27. We have no idea. And he could have had more if he lived longer. Everybody is potentially in Adam. Everybody is seminally in Adam, meaning that we are actually a part of his seed. That's the second way. We are in him that way. And without that, we would not be at all because that's how God ordained things. And then finally, we are legally in Adam. So those three ways, we are in Adam, okay? And so read that again. It is a comfort for those who are willing to submit to the authority of Christ, and it is to the shame of those who are unwilling to do so. God in his infinite goodness has granted us the right to choose where we will place our allegiance and thus where we will spend eternity. In the case of Israel, they were collectively made an inheritance, and yet they individually chose to be a part of that or not by faith in their Messiah, okay? Any person in Israel at the Mount Sinai, they were presented this. They could have said, I don't want to be a part of this body of people, and they could have walked away. Israel as a whole decided we're going to agree to this. We are going to agree to the stipulations laid forth in this covenant. That covenant was not made with anybody else outside of Israel. That's a hint because you're going to be given a test at the beginning of the sermon on Sunday. And you that have paid attention to this will be able to answer that question out of three questions, okay? So having said that, they could have walked away at that time and not been a part of Israel anymore. That was their choice. And then once in Israel, they still had the choice to either believe in the coming Messiah and be saved by faith, or they had a choice to not believe. That's their choice, okay? And those who were not of faith, and we know that that's true of Israel because Jesus came and walked among them, and he said, you are of your father, the devil. They made the choice. That was a choice that was there for Israel all the way along the Day of Atonement. Nobody knew if you were obeying the precept of the Day of Atonement. It says you will deny yourself and you're going to do these things and you're at your home and nobody knows if you're doing them or not. It's going on in this thing alone and nobody else had any idea. Then if you were not of faith, you would not have your sins atoned for. Okay, so life application. You have a choice to make concerning Christ. If you, have choo- if you have chosen Christ, you have c- the continued choice to make concerning obedience to him. Choose each step of your walk wisely. Choose Christ and then pursue Christ. And we got, you know, how many people in... Now, I do know, and this is not slamming anybody that attends the church, okay? But we've got a Bible study now, and we've got a certain number of people at the Bible study. And then we've got a certain number that attend on Sunday, and it's usually more, okay? And some of them come when they can, some of them can't, some of them can't, and so they watch later, etc. But 
for the people that do come to the uh, the um, church, and then they don't at least listen later, shame on them. Okay, I will say that much. But if they are doing it later, they work, you know, late on Thursday or whatever. But we need to set our priorities, and we need to decide how much of my time am I going to use in this one day of mine towards Christ. And not only that, you know, sitting down and reading the Bible, but just thinking about him. Um, for the past two days, I was planting new plants at the mall, okay? So if you go to the mall, you'll see all these nice new plants in the planters, okay? And I, the first thing I had to do is pull out all the old plants. And of course, the, the roots are so big, it was just brutal. So I went to bed tuckered out. Anyway, I finished it today, but I got all the plants in there, put in all the new plants. And while I was doing this, I had my car backed up, okay? Had it backed up to uh, the whatever stairs I was working at at the time or the, uh, the planter over there. And I had the Bible cranked up all the way. And if people didn't like it, that's their problem. You know, I don't care if they liked it or not. I am listening to the Bible, okay? And today, one uh, lady, she was a uh, Amish or a Mennonite from Ohio. She came over and started talking about the flowers, and I had the thing running. And she uh, said, well, you don't do this during the summer. And I said, well, there's really no need. I said, these will last, you know, all the way through the summer. And uh, then uh, I said, but this isn't my regular job anyway. I'm all filthy. I got this dirty shirt on and grime all over me. I said, I'm actually a preacher. And she goes, oh, oh, oh. Anyway, uh, so we had a nice conversation. but. Um, what was the point? Of, oh, I had the Bible going. And I think that's what made her come over in the first place. It wasn't the flower. She just wanted to see, you know, what is this guy about? And um, so while planting flowers for a few hours yesterday and today, I went from, I think, two Thessalonians all the way to the book of Revelation. Just, just, okay. And it didn't take that long, right? So where is your excuse for not pursuing Christ? If I can do it while planting flowers and annoying other people that don't want to hear that, which, you know, that's their problem, like I said, but it, what is your priority in life? What is your priority? What are you thinking about when you're doing things? When you go home or what are you watching on TV? I'm not telling you not to watch cool movies because I watch a cool movie with Hitiko every single night. It might take us four nights to get through, but we watch something together, okay? And then, you know, I've got my studies and things, but you can do things with the Lord while you're doing other things. You don't have to just cut him out until Sunday morning or Thursday night or skip Thursday night and only Sunday morning. You can have him with you all week long. So I would ask you to consider that. You have a choice to make concerning Christ. If you have chosen Christ, you have the continued choice to make concerning obedience to him. Choose an obedience in the Bible to obey. Like in the book of Hebrews, the word obey means, does anybody know what it means? Obey in the book of Hebrews is specific. It means faith. It means faith. Go read the book of Hebrews when you get to the word obey. And that's why I harped on this during the number of sermons. Israel was taken from Sinai and they were taken up to the doorstep of Canaan. Right there in the wilderness of Paran. They send the 12 spies in. The 12 spies come back. And after that, in the book of Deuteronomy, at least three or four times, it says they did not obey the commandment of the Lord. And I was very careful to say it never says obey the commandment of the Lord. It says the mouth of the Lord. They had to simply believe the word. There was no commandment. You are going to go into Canaan. There was never a commandment. It was, we're not going into Canaan. No commandment was given for them, and so that cannot be used as an excuse, and that's what the author of Hebrews 
uses that example and he says obey and he does it in the sense of believing belief is obey so when i say choose each one of your steps wisely choose christ and pursue christ obedience to him means faith and whatever you are doing obedience is faith okay it's not going out and doing something it's having faith that what he said to do is proper and then exercising that faith through the doing of it but it always comes down to faith always okay 112 in order that we who were the first to hope in christ might be for the praise of his okay that did you like that song on sunday Oh, wonderful. To the praise of his glorious grace. And a lot of people emailed me and said, is this the song or would you send me the link? And I did. It's wonderful. I just, I love it. What'd you say? Uh, we'll do it again. Oh, I, I hope so. I just, I love, it's a wonderful song. Okay. Anyway, 112. Again, we should take this together with the previous verse for context. So I'm going to read in him also, we have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. As noted in verse 11, Paul is probably generally speaking of Israel collectively by using the term we. However, here he is actually referring to the individual Jews of Israel who received Jesus as their Messiah. It is they who first trusted in Christ and who should be to the praise of his glory. Vincent's Word Studies notes that the term who first trusted refers to Jewish Christians, Christians, and the verb describes their messianic hope before the advent of Christ. Therefore, the appropriate rendering of those words should be we who have before hoped. In other words, not the believers, the first Jewish believers in Christ, but Israel waiting on their Messiah. They hoped. They have hope for the coming of Messiah. How do we know that's correct? Is because um uh, who was it that said, I know that when, oh, the Samaritan woman at the well, I know that when Messiah comes, he will answer all things or something. I may have misquoted that. But even the Samaritans knew that Messiah was coming. They had a hope that was just a little bit off, okay? But that was the same thing as the Jews. They know, to this day, there are Jewish people that are hoping for the Messiah. I read articles every day. Somebody sends me some article from something where this sect of Judaism is, they say that the Messiah is coming, and here's a sign of it, blah, blah, blah. They missed the ball. They missed the coming of Christ. But they're hoping in Messiah. This has been the Jewish hope all along. Unfortunately for them, their hope is in the Antichrist. What they think is going to deliver them is going to be what punishes them. And we know that because Jesus said it with his own words. He said, um, I've come and you don't believe me. Another one will come in his own name and you will believe him. He's speaking of the coming of Antichrist, and Israel is going to accept that premise, and they're going to say, this is our Messiah. He's going to be a false hope. They already have missed the ball, and so they're not being saved by hope and Messiah the way the Jews before Christ were. Everybody see that? There's a difference between the two. Jews after the coming of Christ are not saved in any other way than if they turn and go back to Christ. Other than that, they are in the same ball as every, or boat, as every other person on this planet, okay? We cannot make a distinction between Jews and Gentiles and say that they're saved by adherence to the Torah or they're saved in this way or that way or any other way. There is one way to be saved, and that is by faith in Jesus Christ. Not faith in Messiah, faith in Jesus Christ. They had their chance with faith in Messiah before the coming of Messiah. When he came, that ended. And now it's faith in Christ and Christ alone. Okay, so um, let's see here. Where was I? 
Uh, yes, I'll read that again. Paul is speaking of Jesus as the Christ who was anticipated and who has come. Therefore, the thought should read that we who have hoped before hoped in Christ. It is these Jews who were a part of the body of Israel and who had so long awaited the coming Christ who put their hope in Jesus and who are to the praise of his glory. David's writings will show you that. The writings of the sons of Korah will show you that. Isaiah's writings will show you that. They're saying that the Christ is coming, the Messiah is coming. They may not have understood that in its fullness, obviously, but they knew that he was coming. And that's the hope of all of the prophetic writings. Jonah, as hard as it is to understand how that points to Christ, unless you look at it from that particular typological sense, Jonah's words are anticipating Christ, okay? That's all there is to it. If you watch the Jonah sermons, you will see that. It is all about Christ coming, okay? And a lot of it is about Israel's relationship with them also. But the main theme of the entire Old Testament is the coming of Christ, okay? So, um, the praise of his glory. These first believing Jews were the means of celebrating his glory. That's Albert Barnes' words. They were the means of celebrating his glory. In the body of Israel, it is those or it is these who ascribe true heartfelt praise to him as the result of their salvation. They were anticipating him, they're saved, and now they're having the result of their salvation. Life application, Paul does not lump Israel and the Gentiles together as the same entity. He never does, ever. Rather, he consistently makes a noted separation between the two. This is a truth which continues to this day. We are all one in Messiah as regards to salvation, but there are Jews and there are Gentiles. There are men and there are women. There are slaves and there are free people. There are different categories within Christ, but we are all within Christ. But he never, ever speaks of Israel as the church or the church as Israel, okay? That is replacement theology, and that is incorrect. You get a demerit, okay? We are all one in Messiah as regards to salvation, but there are Jews and there are Gentiles, there are males and there are females. These differences continue to exist, okay? 113. You also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Okay. Was that it? Oh, okay, and go ahead. I believe you oh. were marked in him with the seal promised uh, promise holy spirit okay i i knew that wasn't the end i just i looked up for a second and in him I you also yeah oh okay that's what <laughs> it was something something made me stop okay in him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation in whom also having believed having believed you were sealed with the holy spirit of promise i refer to this verse probably more than any other in the bible when i'm talking about eternal salvation it's so clear. It's so obvious. But here we go. This is going to be a long one, too, isn't it? Yeah, it's going to take a while. So we, um, okay, 113. The word trusted in this verse is inserted by the translators, assuming that is what uh, is, um, is sur assuming that is referring to trusted in verse 12. It only says, in him you also after. What Paul is referring to is debated. But what seems likely is that he is speaking of the inheritance and predestination of verse 11. In him also, here it is, we have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things, according to the counsel of his will, that 
we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also. So if we take everything and just put it together, we have obtained an inheritance being predestined in him you also. Okay, you see that? Trusted. After you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. So he's making a distinction between Jews and Gentiles. They, we, Paul, and then you also. The reason this is likely is because later in this verse, he notes their belief, something synonymous with trusting. And so here, it is more likely that he is speaking about the inheritance and predestination than simply repeating the idea of trusting. Paul is specific that the Gentiles, represented by the Ephesians at this time, have also received what the Jews had received. Everybody see that now? He was speaking about the Jews, now he's speaking about the Gentiles, and you both have received him, and you have received the same promise in him. Okay? That is probably what he is referring to. So, uh, where was I? Um, trusting. And so, yes, um, Paul is specific that the Gentiles, represented by the Ephesians at this time, have also received what the Jews had received. This reception came about after you heard the word of truth. There's a process to salvation. You can't be saved unless you hear the word. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. A person cannot receive the inheritance without being told about it, unless one believes that the inheritance is something given apart from faith. But this is contrary to the whole tenor of Scripture, including the rest of the verse to come. It is only after hearing this word of truth, which Paul says to them, is the gospel of your salvation. The word of truth is the gospel, okay, that the inheritance can come. This gospel is the message of God's working through Christ in order to redeem man. That is the gospel. It is the grace of God in Christ which alone can bring salvation. And then comes the inheritance. It cannot come apart from hearing and then believing and then receiving. After giving this carefully worded thought, he next says, in whom also. This is referring to in him, in Christ, at the beginning of the verse. And thus to Christ who has been, I'm sorry, yes, and thus to Christ who has been the main subject of verses 3 through 12. Everything is referring to him. Paul continuously reminds us that all of these spiritual blessings come about through being in Christ. No spiritual blessing on this planet will come apart from being in Christ. In order for this to happen, he then describes to them how it happened with the words, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. The Bible never teaches, here it is again, the Calvinistic idea of regeneration in order to believe. In other words, it is neither explicit nor is it implicit here or anywhere else in Scripture that this occurs. Belief is a volitional act of the will. It is not, either before or after salvation, something forced into man externally. But that is what Calvinists will teach, is that you have no part in your salvation. You are born again first. By being born again, you believe. After you believe, then you are saved. That is the Calvinistic model. Okay, they take what Jesus says in John 3 16 and they separate it from what we're reading about right here. That is not taught in scripture, it cannot be inferred in scripture. Okay, it is not either before or after salvation something forced into man externally. Such a warped 
doctrine is never hinted at in the Bible. Instead, it is always shown that God is pleased with faith, which comes from the man when he exercises his own free will. Hence, the talk about believing when Israel refused to go into Canaan. It's a picture. Israel is a template of individual salvation. They didn't believe. They didn't enter. They didn't enter his rest. We believe. We enter the rest. Hebrews 4.3. That is the process. Okay? When the individual believes, he is then sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. The word for seal is sfragizo. It signifies ownership and the full security carried by the backing, meaning the full authority of the owner. Sealing in the ancient world served as a le- uh, yes, sealing in the ancient world served as a legal signature which guaranteed the promise, meaning the contents of what was sealed. Guaranteed when you are sealed with the Holy Spirit, it guarantees the promise meaning the contents of what is sealed. If you can tell me how God made that much of a blunder when he took away your salvation, I'd like to hear that explained to me, that God made a mistake when he sealed you in the first place. You believed, you were sealed, he promised you, the contents are mine. I don't care what you do or what any other person does, that seal is God's. God cannot error, God's guarantee stands, and it is not of you. Because if it was you at the beginning, or a year from now, or on the day before you die, then it was never of grace. Anytime in the process of your salvation, you can lose your salvation because of you, then it was never of grace. It was always of works. Always. So if, if God chose Israel, predestination is what people believe. Why did God have so much trouble with Israel? Absolutely had nothing but trouble with Israel. And so what do they have to do? They have to say that the church has replaced Israel because Israel is out. They have been nothing but trouble to Israel. And you and me, I hate to say it, I don't care how high you think about yourself, we are nothing but trouble to the Lord from day to day. Okay? That is the template. Israel is the template to show us that God is willing to put up with that much and still not reject us. He has made his promise to Israel. He will never break that promise to Israel. If you don't believe me, go read Amos uh, 9.15, is it? Uh, Let's go there really quickly. We're just going to go there, and I'm going to find this. I think it's 9.15, and it says here, let me find this, Amos 7, 8, 9. Yes, 9.15. I'll go to 14. I will bring back the captives of my people Israel. Okay? This is a promise. Hasn't happened yet, folks. They shall build waste cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink wine from them. They shall also make gardens and eat fruit from them. How do we know that this has never happened before? Because verse 15, I will plant them in their land and no longer shall they be pulled up. Every time they've been replanted, they've been pulled up. God is not done with Israel. And then he signs it so that we don't make the stupid mistake that the church has replaced Israel. He signs it from the land I have given them says the Lord, your God. Either God is true or God is a liar. And if he is a liar, then you can believe all of these other doctrines about you can lose your salvation. It will never happen. We trouble God all the time. Okay, so uh, this seal then is as sure as a signature of ownership by God. 
It is something that is given and will never, never, never be taken back. If it were taken back, then it means that the believer trusts, oh, I'm sorry, that God has made a mistake in his sealing, something impossible. Paul will explain this further in the next verse. For now, the logical progression of what Paul is saying is, one, people hear the word of truth, the gospel of their salvation. They believe the message. They are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Two, they are now entitled to all of the benefits that the Jews as an inheritance also received by that same process of faith. The Jews who believed in Messiah received all of these benefits in Christ. I'm not talking about Jews getting the land. That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the hope of the Jews in Messiah. Okay. Paul used them in the first category. And then he said, you also, we receive everything that Israel, the Jewish people of Israel that believed in Messiah received. The key point to remember is that none of this would have occurred without first hearing the gospel message. Not one of it, one bit of it. And that is, as Paul says in Romans 10, 17, I've already said it once, in him you also believed, uh, I'm sorry, um, uh, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, okay? It is not possible. And so if you are not helping missionaries that are overseas out, then you should probably think about choosing a missionary and just give them 30 bucks a month, okay? They are out there telling people about Jesus and they need support, okay? If you're not handing out a track on you know, when you go to Denny's in the morning or something, then you are not getting the word out to those people. And if they don't hear this message, they may never be saved, okay? They may never come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so it is our responsibility and it is our duty in order to do this. Okay, now, we've got something yummy coming through the door right now. Hey, 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 just put it down right there. I like those COVID safety gloves. Very nice. Oh, that's my bread. Nobody touched that bread. That goes home to Hedico, okay? I know until a week or two ago, he told me, he's the one that told me about the bread. And so. You probably do more bread than pizza. No. We do whatever little we do. It's usually taken. Oh, good. I love it. That time Linda and I was in there, you had people coming in all the time and it was like i thought they were coming for pieces i kept leaving with loaves of bread and like, you know, so was, yeah that's the focaccia i love it yeah 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 all right good deal thank you sir you have a wonderful evening be blessed all right say hi to that lovely wife of yours all right here we go um so we're gonna have pizza and this is from doug in ireland doug and doe yes they bought us pizza tonight so uh we want to thank them and we want to feel bad for doug because he's not feeling really well he's in a lot of pain but thank you doug and Dell. um let's see here okay romans 10 17 faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of god only after hearing can one believe and only after one believes are they sealed with the holy spirit when sealed with the holy spirit the individual will also share in the inheritance without that sealing they will have no such inheritance which is found in god's provision in christ Gotta believe, when you believe you're sealed, and you know, this is a, a progression, it doesn't happen that way with God. It's done the second you believe. It's not like I believe, and then God, it is all one act. But we have to take what God does, and we have to put it into a logical sequence of events, just like creation, just like everything else. But to God, everything is done, okay? So, uh, let's see here. Um, this doesn't, oh, where was, okay, but God's provision in Christ. As a point of debate, Vincent's word studies agrees that the word trusted is incorrect, but he says that the thought in him you also is nominative 
to the words were sealed. This doesn't make sense as the words were sealed comes after the thought, not before. As Paul didn't use the term in the preceding verses, it is what the later mentioned sealing results in, that of an inheritance, which is mentioned before, both before and after the words, in him you also. The highlight of Paul's words are on the wondrous benefits, which result from the process, not the process itself. The benefits are what we're focusing on. I very rarely disagree with Vincent's word studies. He's a very intelligent writer. Someday I can't wait to meet him, but I disagree with him here. This is on the benefits of what he is referring to, not the process. Okay. Finally, the pulpit commentary notes that the spirit is called the spirit of promise because he is often promised in the Old Testament. Isaiah 32.15, Ezekiel 36.27, Joel 3.1, and so on. What had long been anticipated by the Jews has come about because of the work of Christ. This promise was granted to them, but it is also granted to all who believe even, yes, among the Gentiles. Thank you, God. Life application, you can no more lose your salvation than God could make a mistake. It will not happen ever. I'm sorry for people that believe that because they are stuck in works-based salvation. And you have to wonder, they were probably saved by faith in Christ, but you have to wonder about how poor their walk is after coming to Christ. And those that were taught in advance that you can lose your salvation have believed a false gospel and are probably not saved at all. We're going to close a couple minutes early because the pizza smells really good. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the chance to come into your presence and to share in your wonderful word. And I certainly pray that if anything I said today was incorrect, that it would be alerted to the people here so that they would not believe something which is incorrect. I would not intentionally do that, and you know that, but still, we are all with fault in this world. And Lord, we thank you for the pizza that Doe and uh, Doug and Doe have provided for us, and we're thankful for them, and we pray for Doug again, and for all the other people that we mentioned at the beginning of this uh, class. And Lord, we would ask that you would provide a place, somebody would be able to provide a room for John when he moves to Sarasota, and Lord, we just thank you for every good and kind blessing that you bless us with. Help us to always be appreciative of that and to respond by telling others about the gift as well. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. You didn't use Arabone in, in at all in there. I, I will. I will you, in the next one. You will. Yes. Okay, so we're going to go to break. Yes, Arabone. As a matter of